Thanks, worship team. Good morning, church family. You guys are almost as awake as the early service was, but that sounded pretty good. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, my name is Jason. I'm the outreach director here at LBC. Um, I have the privilege of serving with uh, some wonderful folks on our missions leadership team. And um, I'd like to introduce two of those to you this morning, Jenna DeCruz and Carl Dean. And they're going to give you a Market of Hope update. So I'll let Jenna go ahead. Good morning, church family. I'm going to share a scripture before I start. Um, Psalm 66.5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. To God be the glory and praise for what I am about to get to share with you. I have the privilege of sharing some of our Market of Hope 2021 numbers. Church family, we raised a total of 165, 771, I couldn't say it in first service either. <laughs> Evidently, I don't just deal with big numbers very often. I'm going to try again. Let's try. Okay. We raised a total of 165,771.52. Thank you, Jesus. While I do not have the time to tell you about every single thing you all purchased, because I'm pretty sure um, Pastor Andy has other things to share, and we don't have a whole service to devote to that, but we could. I could share all day about what you all purchased through the catalog. I'm just going to share a few highlights this morning. For Haiti, we fully funded an apartment for a house parent for the deaf school. Fully funded. We also purchased 49 pigs for Haiti. In India, we completely funded the local church's live worship broadcast project, which is how they share the gospel with a lot of unbelieving folks. We were also able to provide them with 153 chickens. In Kenya, we were able to fund 12 Savoet missionaries, 12 missionaries funded completely. And we were also able to purchase an acre for 21 widows. So 21 acres. In Romania, we were able to send 50 kids, or we will be able to send 50 kids to camp, which is a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship for those kids. And we also completely funded the families program. In Uganda, we fully funded a church plant. We also were able to provide 707 doses of malaria treatment. Praise God. Those are just a few, a few of the numbers of many. Praise God for his faithfulness in using us. Thanks, Jenna, for the update. Um, one of the things that the MLT really wants to, to bring to your attention and to remind you really what Market of Hope is about and sticking with the theme of hope today, um, LBC, church family, um, each year we do Market of Hope and each year you step up to the table and we want to thank you for your faithfulness. 
for being obedient. And we want you to know that with every dollar, everything that we provide, everything we give to our missionary partners comes with the message of the gospel. And so that's really what we're providing. We're providing hope, and you've done that. And so God is using our church, um, and you've been faithful and obedient. And we, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And it's all for his glory. And ultimately, when those gifts go out and those products are given to individuals, the message of Jesus Christ is being shared, and it's expanding the kingdom of heaven. So we thank you for that. Thank you, Jenna and Carl. So uh, I just want to reiterate what Carl was saying. We thank you for your generosity, but uh, more importantly, for your obedience to uh, answer the call that God's calling us to. Um, I also do want to say, if you were involved in helping with Market of Hope uh, volunteers, thank you so much for all of your hard work and energy that you put into it. We appreciate you very much, and especially want to thank our uh, MLT and our core team three ladies that uh, really helped organize it and get it all together. So again, thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate you, and we praise God for what he's doing with Market of Hope and, and LBC. Thank you. pretty soon here. There it is. Yes. Knew we could get this thing to work. Well, hey, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you all. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're continuing in our study of the book of Romans in this last uh, section, Romans 12 through 16. If you uh, are using one of the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, it's on page uh, 891. Page 891. If you're newer to the Bible, just turn towards the back it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Then comes Romans. So um, take a look at uh, Romans chapter 12 with me. And I uh, just wanted to welcome all of you, but especially those of you who are uh, online. Welcome here this morning. Glad you're here with us. And a couple things here. Um, we did used to have what we call a bookmark. It was a physical, actual bookmark that you'd stick in your Bible that had different chapters that you would read that would be along the same theme of whatever chapter we're teaching on on Sunday mornings. We no longer have the physical copy, but we do have them online. So you can go on our website, the first page, and just scroll down a little bit and look for bookmark, and it'll tell you different chapters most days of the week that you'll read. Um, this week, it, it would have had to do with... Uh, whatever Romans 12 is about. So um, take a look at that bookmark as well. And uh, if you would like to have prayer, we'd love to be praying for you. Um, one way that you can get your prayer request to us is with those QR codes in the seat in front of you. If you just get onto that and scroll down and find the prayer request, type your prayer request in, they do get prayed for, okay? We want you to know that they do get prayed for. If that's not something you want to do, you can come to any one of us on staff or anyone with a name tag on, and we'll make sure uh, we, we pray with you and pray for you. So uh, that's good, but just look for that. If you are a guest with us this morning, if this is your first time here or one of your first times here, welcome. So glad you're here. My name is Andy Middlecoff. I'm an associate pastor here 
and uh, we'd love to meet you. Um, out at the, there's a guest welcome center. You go out in the courtyard, it's to the left, and we've got a gift there for you. You know, Christmas is coming up, so we've got to give gifts away, I guess. So, no. But we'd love to meet you. I'll be out there in the courtyard afterwards. We'd love to say hello. But um, I think that's about all I had to say. Oh, yes, business meeting. So about three times a year, um, the church membership has a business meeting. We've got one coming up December 12th, which is in a couple weeks. You can get the agenda for that on your way out. Um, they're probably on the right, uh, the counter that's out there. So we're in uh, Romans 12, right? Romans 12, page 891, right? Okay, well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even now, Lord, we want to serve you and do your will. Father, we pray that you'd make your will known to us. I pray that you'd wake us up physically, spiritually, mentally. That, Father, you, your Son and Spirit, would draw near and minister to us and among us. Cause your word to do its work in our hearts and eyes and in minds. Lord, open our eyes to wonderful things in your word. Lord, strengthen us. Help us to focus on what really matters. And it's you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So, I'm very blessed to have had a number of great mentors in my life. One of those was a man named D. Duke, and he got made fun of a lot because his name was D, right? But D. Duke, he's from Oregon, where I'm from, and um, I got to meet with him, talk to him on the phone. I was in an accountability group with him, and he would tell this story kind of about some of the beginning of his life and uh, kind of a crazy story. When he was young, he wasn't very big, so at school, you know, he'd get picked on for his name and for his size. And the biggest kid in the school was the biggest bully in the school, and he would bully D. Uh, one way that he would do that is that he'd, he'd steal his lunch. Uh, D and his family were big hunters, so always get deer and have venison and jerky and all that to eat all the time. And so his mom would make him these really great venison sandwiches, and this big bully found out that those sandwiches tasted really good. So he began to steal these sandwiches from him, the, the whole lunch, his lunch bag, almost every day. And so D, of course, was just thinking, how can I get him back? Well, there's no way I can get him back. He's twice my size, you know, and what am I going to do? Finally, he's complaining to his mom about it, and his mom does an amazing thing, kind of a, a, a plot twist, so to speak, something that you wouldn't expect. And she says, I'll make him a venison sandwich for himself. So uh, that next day, she made D a, a sandwich and, and a lunch and made this bully a sandwich and a lunch, right? And he brings it to school. That bully went from being the biggest bully towards him to his bodyguard. And he was like, they were best friends from that day forward. I just think, what an amazing story. What a great thing. And so that brings up the question um, in this scripture that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12, brings up that question of what do we do? You know, when people, maybe they bully us and steal our lunch, right? Or uh, they may criticize us or put us down or belittle us or harm us or steal from us or wrong us in some way, right? How do we deal with that? How does God, that's the more important, how does God want us to deal with things like that? And he tells us right here in his word, very clearly, very straightforwardly in Romans chapter 12. So if you would follow with me as we read Romans 12, verse 17 through the end of the chapter, this is the way this chapter ends. And it's uh, very powerful and a very challenging scripture, let me tell you. So verse 17, God says this through the Apostle Paul. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How does God want us to respond? When we're wronged, when we're put down, when we're hurt or harmed in some way or another. He tells us, first of all, this, uh, do not take revenge, he says. Do not take revenge. And we see that a couple different ways. Here, starting in verse 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Then he repeats himself with a different word here in verse 18. If, uh, sorry, in verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now, avenging ourselves or revenge, it's uh, easy to understand what that is. It's returning evil for evil, wrong for wrong, threat for threat, whatever that is. And, and it's, it's so prevalent in our lives um, that we have all these different sort of cliches about it. Let's see if you can um, remember what these cliches are. So first of all, I don't get mad. I get what? Even. Well done. Well done. Um, I, I've got to even the score. I've got to even the score. Uh, I'm going to get, re- wait, I forgot one word. I'm going to get sweet Revenge. There it is. There it is. Okay. So if you answered all those correctly, you might just have a problem with revenge in your life. (laughs) And one problem with revenge is what we call one-upping, right? You know, so someone does something to you, you do something similar back, but then you also do something else. You one-up it. You, You don't just even the score, you get back, you know? And so what would you imagine the third sin recorded in the Bible is? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Revenge. Yes, revenge. So one of Cain's, believe it or not, Cain who murdered Abel, his brother, his descendants weren't the greatest people. Uh, One of them was Lamech, and we see him uh, taking revenge. Not only revenge, but one-upping. Take a look at up on the screen, Genesis 4, 23 through 24. It said, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Like he said, hey, if you get me, I'm going to get you back 77 times worse than you got me, right? So uh, evidently a young man hurt him in some way, and he didn't just hurt him back, he killed him. So we may not kill everybody that we would like to kill, um, but we do one-up other people. And something else along these lines uh, are, are the, is what I call the revenge cycle, right? So you do something to me, I get you back, and then you've got to get me back, and then I've got to get you back. Uh, I actually grew up right next to the Hatfields up in Oregon, and there was this big battle this, for years between the Hatfields and the McCoys, and I don't know the whole story, but you can read books about it. You've probably seen old Western movies about it, but constantly one-upping each other, the revenge cycle, it doesn't help anything. It just makes, makes things worse, doesn't it? And so God is saying here, don't get into the revenge cycle. Don't get caught up in one-upping each other. Don't take revenge. You know, and I think it's much more common than we really realize, and we probably do it 
more than we even realize. And, and I did it yesterday. And I'm like, I'm preaching a sermon on revenge. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm here. And so, I, I, you know, my wife kind of called me on it. And I, I'm like, man, I'm sorry. You know, but we do it so regularly. I mean, think about, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever social media platform you use, you know. If someone says something negative about you or some of your beliefs, what do you want to do? You want to, you know, want to slam them, put them in their place, right? Or how about in your, in your marriage or with your family or your, your relatives? If you get a, a hint that they're belittling you or uh, putting you down, you know, criticizing you or trying to tell you how to do something that you've known how to do for 20 years, you know, what do you want to do? You want to get them back, right? Or, or even in parenting, Yes, our kids do need to be disciplined. Uh, amen to that, right? Um, but sometimes we want to get them back. They've hurt us. They've made us mad. I'm going to get them back and get even for what they've done for us. Or even at work, right? Someone else gets the credit for something you did. Oh, man, you're going to get them back. Uh, someone makes you look bad in front of the other coworkers or in front of your boss. Even worse, man, you're going to look for the best opportunity to get them back to make them look stupid or bad or or whatever, you know. And other subtle ways would be, you know, we give people the silent treatment. Um, we walk out of the room. We ignore people, right? We, we, we revenge, uh, we take vengeance on people in many different ways, often uh, very subtle ways. God's saying, don't do that. Well, well, God, is there ever a time, like, Lord, you've seen what this person has done to me. You know what they've done. Haven't you seen what they've done to me over and over Certainly there's a time when I can finally do it. Nope, he says never. Take a look at uh, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge you. Are you serious, God? Did you really write never? I mean, come on, there's got to be sometimes I can take revenge. No, he says never. But there's got to be certain people I can take revenge on, right? I mean, certain people that have really just wronged me. And, they, and God, they wrong a lot of people, not just me. So it'd be right for me to get them back. For not just me, but see, I'm being unselfish here. No, look at verse 17. It says, repay how many people? No one. Repay no one. Not even the person who has caused a lot of pain and heartache in your life. Now again, there's, there's a time for justice. There's a time for confronting, but not a time for revenge. So how does God want us to respond when we're wronged, when someone steals our delicious venison sandwich? How does he want us to respond? First of all, don't take revenge. Secondly, it's, it's this, you'll see it up on the screen. Stop and think before you react. Stop and think. What do we usually think about when someone belittles us, uh, puts us down, uh, you know, slanders us, uh, wrongs us in some sort of way? What do we, what, what's going through our minds? Often it's like, how can I get this guy to stop? How can I get this guy to, how can I get him back? We're angry. How could they do this? Why would they do this? All kinds of thoughts like this. What does God say about our thoughts when this happens to us? Look again at verse 17. Verse 17, God says, Repay no one evil for evil, but, listen, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The words give thought uh, literally mean, in the Greek, give careful thought. It can mean uh, have foresight, think ahead of Whatever you say or do in that moment, think of the consequences. Think about um, what could happen if you went ahead and followed through with those, some of those thoughts of revenge in your mind. Just think carefully. Because really, when it comes to our lives and, and living out the Christian life, the battle begins in the mind, right? If we can control our thoughts, we can control our words, 
and our actions. But man, we need the Lord's help, don't we? Right? It's, it's so hard to control our tongues. But it begins in the mind. It's a battle in our minds. We need to take every thought captive, the Bible says, right? To the obedience of Christ. So he's saying, think carefully. Think ahead of time. But one thing I think that he wants us to think about during those times is what he thinks of us. Because right smack dab in the middle of this scripture about how we're to treat each other and not take revenge on each other, he calls us his beloved. In verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, beloved, verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now, why, why would he just say beloved? Call, address us as beloved right then and there. I think part of it is this, because when somebody has sort of put us down, belittled us, criticized us, in that moment, we're not feeling very loved, right? We're not feeling very loved, and we're feeling attacked. We're feeling, um, you know, put down, and we need to remember, even in that moment, we are still children of God. We are still temples of God. We are still saints of God. The Holy Spirit still lives within us. Heaven is still our home. Uh, God is watching over us. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. In that very moment, we need to remember how God thinks of us, and that can give us strength to do the right thing. Uh, We're his beloved. And the, the amazing thing is, is when Jesus was baptized, what did the Father call Jesus? Beloved. My beloved son. He calls us his beloved, just as he called his son that. It's amazing. So that's what he thinks of us uh, in that moment, even when we're being criticized and things aren't going our way. And, and along those lines, how did he love us? Let's remember that. How did he love us? Ultimately, he sacrificed his life. He was willing to be wronged so that we could be forgiven, so that good things could come out of it. In that moment, as hard as it is to think about that, we need to ask God to help us to remember those things in those moments. And so really what he's saying here, I believe, is he's saying don't react, but instead respond. Our knee-jerk reaction is to say something back or to do something back, right? But he says, slow down, don't let that control you, and think thoughtfully of how you're going to respond. And he says specifically to respond at the end of verse 17, he says, but give thought to do what is, the word here is, honorable, honorable in the sight of all. Uh, Don't think about how you're going to get them back. Think about what you could do that would be honorable. And the rest of this passage tells us what that looks like, how to be honorable. So the next point here, how do we respond? Uh, Not only don't take revenge and not only don't react with our sinful nature, but, but think now it's be a peacemaker, be a peacemaker. How do we respond? How do we respond to someone who belittles us, criticizes us, puts us down, uh, harms us, wrongs us in some way. We look to be a peacemaker. How do we respond with honor in an honorable way? We act and live as a peacemaker. And we see that in the next verse, verse 18. It says in verse 18, God says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Uh, One thing that I used to say to my kids a lot when they were young was, um, you can either choose to be a peacemaker or a troublemaker. A peacemaker or a troublemaker. And it's true for all of us, whether you're a kid or you're an adult. You can either choose today to be a peacemaker or a troublemaker. One way I heard it put a long time ago was, when any conflict arises, you can either add water to the fire or gasoline, right? You can either de-escalate the problem or escalate the problem. Water or fire. And that's a choice that we have to make. What are you going to be? That's a question I think I want all of us to ask ourselves. What am I going to be in my next conflict with my husband or wife, with my kids or my parents, with my coworkers? 
uh, with my neighbors, uh, with my relatives? Am I going to add fire to that? Or am I going to add gasoline to that fire? Or am I going to add water to that fire, right? Revenge, revenge, returning evil for evil, wrong for wrong. That always adds fire, doesn't it? And it's not being a peacemaker. It's being a troublemaker. And, and I appreciate the words here at the beginning of verse 18 because it's so real. It's just like the Bible's just real to life. Even though this scripture, most people would look at it and laugh because it's so hard. How can you possibly obey what the scripture is saying? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit only. Uh, but, but this part, he's just, look, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, God recognizes that it's not always possible to have a perfect relationship with everybody. He's just saying, you need to do your part. And, and the responsibility of the other person is on them. And that's where we need to understand the difference between our responsibility and the responsibility of the other person. We can't force the other person to forgive us or to ask for forgiveness. We can't force the other person to change. Um, but, but with God's help, we can choose to do the right thing. And that's what God calls us to do. If possible, do the right thing. Seek reconciliation. Seek what is right in your relationship with the person that's put you down or wronged you in some way. Do all that you can. And then ultimately, entrust the person to God. Entrust the situation to God. Say, God, here it is. Show me what else I can do. Maybe there's nothing else at this point. Maybe all I can do is wait and pray. And that's important. Um, well, when some people read this, you know, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Does this mean that we should be doormats? Like someone can just walk all over us and crush us. Is that what this is getting at? No. Uh, there's a time and a place to confront evil um, in a righteous way. And, and there's even a time and a place to get um, the law involved where necessary. Another objection would be, well, what about, what about uh, you know, police and, and military? Should, should Christians not be police officers or in the military if, if this is saying we need to be peacemakers? No, that's, that's not what it's saying. In fact, in the very next chapter, just a few verses later, it's talking about soldiers and police officers. And here's one thing that it says. You'll see it up on the screen in Romans 13, it says, Romans 13, verse 4, uh, for he, that's a soldier or a police officer, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword, now it's the gun, in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath, God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Let's get rid of police. What happens? Just look at the news. You'll see. But as Christians, police officers, soldiers, we've got to remember. We've got to remember to do this with wisdom. Even in love. As we bring about God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Right? Uh, what about self-defense? So this is saying to be a peacemaker. Um, if we are blessed, if we are peacemakers... What about self-defense? Does this mean that if someone breaks into my house at night to do whatever he wants to do, that I should just let him, let him do it and just kind of tell him, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you know, that's wrong. Uh, or, or can we use self-defense? Does the Bible say anything about this? Yes, it does. 
First of all, it doesn't condemn self-defense. There's never a place that says, do not defend yourself. There's also examples of people in the Bible, good examples of people defending themselves. Now, there's a lot of bad examples in the Bible of even good people doing bad things in the Bible. Lots of, lots of those. Everybody except for who? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the only one in the Bible who, who never messes up, right? But Abraham, sometimes he was a good example. Sometimes he was a bad example. Uh, but Abraham, in Genesis chapter 14, he goes to rescue his, his nephew Lot, right? Lot gets kidnapped, um, and Lot, or excuse me, Abraham and uh, a band of other men go and rescue Lot. That's a form of self-defense, defending his family, helping his family. And that's seen as a good example in the Bible. One scripture that speaks directly to it is Exodus 22, 3, and 4. You'll see that on the screen. And it says this, it says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck... So that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But, verse 3, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. In other words, what, what this is saying is that, you know, if, if a thief is coming in at night, it's dark, you can't really see what's going on, and your goal isn't to kill the guy, but in the process of trying to protect yourself and your household, he ends up dying. God is saying you're not guilty of bloodshed for that. However, if it's during the day, you can assess the situation, you can see what's going on. And you, there's no need to kill him in certain situations, then you'll be guilty of bloodshed if you do it. So I think the idea partly here is saying there's going to be certain circumstances where you have to use force. You know, as, as a last uh, effort, use force. There might be certain circumstances, but don't look at it as, oh, good, I get to kill somebody, right? Like that's, we shouldn't rejoice over anyone dying. Uh, and, and sometimes, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, in my own sinful nature, like when I imagine someone breaking into my house and what I would want to do to that person at night, right, and they're trying to do something to my wife and kids, like I go to dark places, right? Those aren't godly, you know? Now, there's, there's a point where, you, you know, you're going to need to restrain the guy or what, do whatever you have to do, um, but God is saying here, look, ultimately, it's not about killing somebody. We shouldn't rejoice in that. In fact, um, the Bible sort of restrains our sinful nature. Because in our sinful nature, we want to see our enemies suffer, right? Um, but God's saying, remember, um, I suffered for you. And I set you an example. So in the midst of, yes, there's a place for self-defense. And sometimes that includes physical force. But remember, even in the midst of it, to do the hardest thing, which is to love our enemies. And Jesus even spoke that very clearly telling us one of the hardest commandments in the Bible. Let's read it together up on the screen. Matthew 5, 43 and 44 from the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's read it together. Ready? So you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God help us, right? God help us. How should we respond to somebody who's um, attacking us, putting us down, criticizing us, belittling us, wronging us in some way. God says, don't, don't take revenge. Think carefully before you react, before you respond. He says, live as a peacemaker. And then next, fourthly, let God deal with them. Let God deal with the person. And we see this in uh, verses, uh, verse 19. Verse 19. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's from Deuteronomy 32, 35 that the Apostle Paul quotes from. You know, a good question to ask ourselves 
when we're thinking about revenge, you know, it, it happens really fast, doesn't it? So, so we got to kind of interrupt ourselves. But, but, but if you think about, like, why would you want to avenge yourself? Often it's because your pride has been hurt, right? Or, you're, you know, you're asking, like, why did this, why did this happen? Um, we, we want to make sure that this person never does it again. So we're going to get them back to a degree where they'll learn their lesson. You cannot mess with me, right? So what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to defend ourselves in some way. But is it possible that the creator of the universe who rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt can, can maybe defend you as well? Is that possible? Do you think that he would want to do that? That's the interesting thing. I'm like a blade of grass among seven billion blades of grass on this world. Why would he give a rip about me? Well, he does. And that's exactly what he says here. Never take vengeance, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He doesn't say vengeance is yours. He says vengeance is mine. He sees it. He sees what you're going through. And by the way, some of you who have been through horrible things, God saw that. And there's a part of you that wonders, did God care? Yes, he does. And you can rest assured that whoever did those things to you will pay the penalty. Okay? And it may be in this life. The Bible's clear that all of us, me, you, everybody you know, everybody in this world, all of us will stand before God's judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And all of us will be accountable for everything that I thought about, everything I said, everything I did, I have to answer to God for that. I know that ultimately because Christ was willing to die for me and for you, all of my sin, all my shame, all my guilt was placed on him at the cross. And so I'll be forgiven. Ultimately, he will pound that gavel and say, not guilty. But he does make us answer for why we did what we did. Revenge is one of those things. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. And I'm going to have to answer for that. But those who never repented, those who never made right the wrong, will suffer for it. It's going to be bad. So God here is putting the fear of God in my heart, and hopefully he is in your heart as well. You know, and this is where I think when he's saying vengeance is mine, it's not yours, it's where we have to understand the difference between God's responsibility and our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do the other things that we're talking about in the scripture, and especially the next point that we're going to see in the next verse. Um, his responsibility is vengeance. He knows more than us. He has a little bit more power than us. Uh, he, he has a little more wisdom, a little more authority than us. Uh, he sees the whole situation. We only know one little part of it. He knows how to deal with it better than us. We can trust him for it. And, and notice, it's a promise. He says, I will repay. He doesn't say, I might repay, right? He says, I will. You know how many promises God has made us in his word? In fact, the next class I do on Sunday mornings starting in January, that's what I'm hoping to talk about are the promises of God. They're amazing, these promises he made to us. Who are we? But a bunch of sinners. <laughs> He's made these promises. This is one of them. I will repay. It's a promise. Can we trust him with his promises? Come to the point in your life where you realize you can trust him with his promises. It's a beautiful place to be. We can trust him. He's trustworthy. And this is one of those. You know, um, there are many uh, examples in the Bible, events that happen where people take revenge on somebody else wrongfully. Other places where they felt like taking revenge and they didn't. One of those places is in 1 Samuel 25. I'd encourage you to write that down and read it later. 
It's with uh, King David. And, and was King David always a great example to us? No, no, he was not always a good example. Sometimes he was. Sometimes he was. But, but often he was not. He's kind of like us. Sometimes we're good examples. Often we're bad examples, right? But this was, a, this was an example of a bad example of David in, in 1 Samuel 25. David and his men were guarding and protecting uh, Nabal's uh, sheep and shepherds and making sure no one attacked them. And at some point, uh, David needed food. So he said, Nabal, um, can you, you know, uh, give me and my men some food? And Nabal basically said, you're an idiot. I hate you. Get out of my face. And I mean, David's blood level just went right up over the roof. And he was like, I am going to kill you, right? So he was getting ready, truly. He was getting ready to kill Nabal for this. But thankfully, Nabal had a really wise wife named Abigail. Any men in here have a really wise wife? Raise your hands. Because I have a really wise wife. I could see her doing this, right? When I'm like blowing up, right? So, so uh, Abigail says, hey, um, David, my husband was wrong. That was really wrong of him. We will make sure that you and your, your men are fed. And we really appreciate how you've helped us out. So, so just please have mercy on my husband. And he goes, you know what, Abigail, you were right. I was going to kill him, but I would have been guilty of murder before God if I did that. He said, thank you for keeping me from murdering somebody. And I, I think, man, what a great example Abigail is, you know, in that situation. She was a peacemaker, right? We just read about that in the previous verse that we are to be peacemakers. You know, and sometimes it's not just a conflict where we're directly involved, but it's a conflict that we can help out in. You know, whether it's in our family or at the workplace or in our neighborhood or wherever it may be where people are seeking revenge on each other and you can step in and say, hey, um, let's, let's think about some other solutions here besides, you know, blowing some guy's brains out, right, or whatever. So David wants to kill him. Abigail, through her wisdom, stops him. Interestingly, at the end of first, you, you have to go back to read it because you're not going to believe me, but uh, the end of 1 Samuel 25, it says that 10 days later, God put Nabal to death. I don't know about you, but that puts a bit of fear of God in me. God has charge over when we live, when we die. He can take care of people in his way, in his time, who you want to have vengeance upon. How do we respond? Don't take revenge. Think before you react. Be a peacemaker. Let God deal with them. And then finally, this is the hardest one. This is the hardest part. Finally, respond with kindness. Respond with kindness. What are you, crazy? Well, a little, a little. Verses 20 and 21 says this. God says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Reminds me a lot of D. Duke's mom. Hey, we're going to feed your enemy, right? What a great illustration. What a great story. God wants us to respond rather than react and to respond with kindness rather than to react with evil, with harm, with harmful intent. And he says here at the end of verse 20, by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Bible scholars have a couple different ideas of what that might mean. Uh, one is that it's a figure of speech that when you do something good for somebody, it can kind of like make them a bit ashamed of how they've treated you and make them want to have a change of heart so then they'll, they'll respond with kindness rather than continue to respond with how they were treating you before. 
Um, another possible meaning of this is that um, you treat them with kindness, and if they don't repent, God will ultimately punish them. Okay? Either way, God's got it in his hands. God, want us, God wants us to respond with kindness. And there's a power in kindness when you treat somebody who's been treating you wrong in a kind way. It doesn't always work. I, I can attest to that. I've, I've tried in some circumstances where I thought I tried my best, and it didn't result in anything better. Um, but a friend of mine, uh, Dave, he's a missionary in Africa. He's been in a couple different countries in Africa. And uh, one of the ministries that he did was that he was in charge of, he managed uh, a refugee camp of literally 20,000 people in Ethiopia. I mean, what a big job. I, I couldn't imagine having that responsibility. The guy, the guy is just, you know, has, has a, lot of, um, a lot of abilities, very gifted. And so he, he's, he's running this 20,000-person refugee camp in Ethiopia. People from lots of different countries, like Somalia, had fled there for safety. And so they're homeless, jobless, just waiting to get into a country that will accept them where they can be safe. All the while, there, there was a man kind of on his leadership team who was a thorn in his flesh. Everything he did, he criticized. Everything he did, he sabotaged it. Tried to somehow, for some reason, he couldn't figure out, why, why is this guy doing this, man? I'm like, this is a hard job. I need help. Not someone to constantly make things difficult for me. You know, have you ever had a situation like that where, where you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to get your job done, and there's somebody there just nagging at you, you know, tearing you down, making things hard on you? It's not easy, especially if you're in charge of 20,000 people. So in my mind, as he's telling this story to me in, in my church up in Oregon where I knew him from, I'm thinking, yeah, what can you do to get this guy back, you know? And, uh, but he says this, words I'll never forget. He thought to himself, what can I do that would clearly show love to that man? What can I do? That would clearly show it. Because have you ever tried to show love to somebody and they didn't receive it that way? They didn't see it that way? Like, you do something and you think, well, this, I would think that that would be a loving thing to do. But they don't think, maybe, they think, they don't agree with or think your motives are right or whatever it may be. So he went to this guy's good friends and he said, listen, um, what can I do? What can I do uh, to, to love this guy where he'd really see it as, as love? And they said, he really wants a backpack. Buy him a backpack. And I'm thinking when I heard that story, I'm like, I wish it was always that easy. Just buy the person a backpack, you know. So I started buying backpacks for everyone that I had conflict with. <laughs> no. But so he bought him a backpack, and suddenly the guy became his greatest advocate. You know? I mean, the, the power of returning kindness for evil, right? Rather than evil for evil. Wrong for wrong. Kindness, goodness, generosity, love. And isn't that ultimately what Jesus did for us? We put him on that cross. Ultimately, we're guilty, right? He died because of us, for us, in our place. And I love these quotes. One from Warren Wiersbe, an excellent teacher and preacher who has passed away, but he said this, As children of God, we must live on the highest level. Not, not down in, in just the human regular way things go where he said this about me, he did that to me, she did that, I'm going to do this back to them. No, the highest level, God's level, live up in Christ's way, right? Returning good for evil. 
Anyone can return good for good and evil for evil. The only way to overcome evil is with good. Uh, James R. Edwards, a Bible scholar, said this, Overcoming evil with good is the most revolutionary force in the world. There's so much anger and spite in our nation right now. So much hatred. Everywhere you look. Oh my goodness. It's kind of, I don't know, worse than it's ever been since I've been alive that I've noticed. And man, it works, doesn't it, by just getting everybody back. Doesn't that work? Just saying what's on your mind. Doesn't that work? Doesn't seem to be. What if we respond with love? Yes, with tact, with wisdom, but also with love, with kindness, with generosity. Above and beyond. I think some hearts would change. Let me close with just asking some questions to myself for you all to ask yourselves. So is there someone who's wronged you that you'd like to take some vengeance upon? (laughs) Then the second question is, what is something you could do that could clearly show love to them? What is something you could do? And sometimes you might have to do a little research, ask some of their friends, right? And then thirdly, um, will, will you choose to let God deal with the person instead of you feeling like you have to take vengeance? Will you let God do it? Trust him that he knows better? Let's let him. And let's look for ways to love even when they don't deserve it. Because you know what? We never deserve it either. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you Uh, that we who are sinners who have avenged you or who have sinned against you, instead of taking vengeance on us, you sent your son Jesus to take your wrath upon himself so that your wrath would not come upon us. Jesus, thank you so much for stepping in in our place to die for us. Jesus, thank you for being that example in the midst of whatever anyone here is going through some conflict and relationship, people wronging them, help them to remember Christ. Help them to remember you. Help me to remember you. Help us to forgive people. Help us to look for ways to love even when people are wronging us. But God, we cannot do it ourselves. Walk with us each step of the way. May your Holy Spirit fill us, strengthen us, give us the wisdom and the love we need to do it. And we pray these things in God's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.